Well, good morning. It's uh, kind of a privilege to be here and to share here this morning. It's been it's been good to be in the area again for a couple of days and reconnect with family and with some of you as well the other evening. So, thanks for your prayers and and support in the past of our family. Um, the church here is a special place in our hearts, um, especially since we attended here for a number of years, a few years back. Um, and if you get to New England, uh, please feel free to stop in and visit us. We'd be happy to have you. We were thankful to have Josh and Kim and their family there this summer. Josh shared a few messages with us on uh, Sunday morning and afternoon. And uh, so, yeah, stop in. We'd be happy to host you if you get through the area there in Hampton. So we find ourselves at a, at a unique time of the year. Um, we're just coming through the holidays. Um, Thanksgiving is over. It's fairly uh, far in our rearview mirror. Christmas and New Year's Day have come and gone, and the holidays are past. Um, and, and from what I understand, too, uh, yesterday was the last day of deer season, right? So uh, that's past, too, at least for most of you. So now it's time to get back to work, right? Get back and get into the daily grind. I know, I know this is a day of rest, but I would like for us to think a little bit about work this morning. And I've entitled, the title of the message is A Time to Work. A Time to Work. And I know we as, as Mennonites are well known for our diligence and our good work ethic. Um, we, we typically know how to work, and, and we're known for that. And so maybe I'm preaching to the choir here a little bit this morning, but I think it's something that we all wrestle with at some point, this thing of work. Um, we, we can make ourselves really busy with our work, or, or maybe even other, other things. And sometimes we can stretch ourselves to the breaking point, um, to, to where we wonder how much we can handle. But, but what is the purpose of, of all of this? Um, do we sometimes lose the sense of purpose and just get caught up with the urgency of the moment? And I'm not, I'm not sharing this to point fingers or to make accusations about who works too much or who should be working more um, or, or anything like that. But rather, I'd, I'd like for us to think about why we do what we do. Why do we work? And, and why do we work what we work? Um, what is work? Why do we do it? And, and how much is too much? You know, it's, it's something I know for myself, um, I've, I've struggled at times to find this proper balance between, um, you know, what is, what is too much where I'm a workaholic and yet what is not enough where I'm lazy. So it's, it's finding that balance. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 for our text this morning. Colossians chapter 3. And I'd like to read verses 16 through 25. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So I'd like to focus this morning on verse 17, and then also the instruction that we're given to servants in verses 22 through 25. And we won't get into uh, the instruction specifically for wives and husbands and children. There's just not enough of time to handle or to, to cover all of that today. But I'd like to, to think about work and how this passage relates to that. Verse 17, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed. And that word do has the idea of just simply doing or what are you bringing forth to make, uh, to cause something to happen. And so whatever you do, whatever you bring forth, whatever you cause, um, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, I'd like to, to, to ask you this. What, what is work? Have you ever thought about that? What is work? Now, I know, I know for, for some of you that probably means something different than it does for others. Some of you are baking, some of you are hanging garage doors or whatever. But, but what really is work? I, I have a simple definition here. And I, I'm not sure, totally sure what the, um, the source of this definition is, but I've, I've meditated on this um, different times. But the definition of work I'm, that I'm going to use this morning is just simply moving stuff from one place to another. That is work. It's moving something from one place to another. So, mothers, you, you know about this, okay? Um, there's, there's lots of toys in the living room floor. You pick up the toys and you put them in the box. That's work. Now, if you do it right, maybe your children can do that for you, right? Laundry. The laundry ends up in the, the laundry basket. You put it in the washer, and then you put it on the line, then you put it back in the drawer. You're just moving things around. Okay? That's work. I know some of you hang garage doors for a living. Um, that's just moving things. Okay? You're moving the track, and you're moving the door. You're, you're, yeah, you're putting screws in, um, but you're just moving the screws um, it's, it's just moving stuff. Some of you bake for a living. Um, there again, you're just moving sugar and flour from one place to another. Um, the quantity matters, yes, but it's moving things from one place to another. If you drive Amish, you're just moving them from one place to another. Um, logging, it's kind of the same way. You cut the tree, you load it on the truck, it goes to the paper mill. Uh, this is pretty simplistic. But as, as I think about work, it... You know, we complicate things sometimes, but it's, it's pretty basic. It's moving things one to another. Even, even for a teacher, um, you're, you're moving ideas from the textbook to the student's brain and, and moving, uh, trying to move students to do something, maybe, in some cases. 
And if, if you think of a field that doesn't require moving something, you can let me know. Because I think most vocations, most work, will require a movement of something from one place to another, and that is what work is. It's pretty simplistic. Sometimes we also use um, the word work to describe a vocation or a career, a, a career field. And so what, what is work? It's the time to work. Just a couple of thoughts here as, as we think about work. And, and number one is work is a creation principle. You know, sometimes we think about work as being bad. Um, it's something that came as a result of the curse. Is, is a mindset we can have, and we can look down on it as a bad thing. But I don't think that's accurate. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Um, when, when God created man and, and woman, Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so we are created in the image of God, who is our creator, but we are created in his image. And this is what he, the, the commission that he gave to man, to mankind. God gave the dominion or the responsibility to man to subdue the earth. Now what does that mean, to subdue the earth? Isn't that work? So God created man to work to glorify him and to, um, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the earth. In Genesis 2, then, verse 15, and, Lord, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so it would seem like the garden wasn't just taking care of itself, but there was a responsibility that Adam had to dress it and to keep it, um, to keep it up. And so that's where, where I say work is not the result of the fall of man. It's not the result of sin. But we, are, we were created, I guess you could kind of say, we were created to work. To work to bring glory to God, ultimately. Kent Hughes said it this way, The way we work will reveal how much we have allowed the image of God to develop in us. The way we work will reveal how much we have allowed the image of God to develop in us. And so let's... Yeah, let's think about that with work. It's not, it's not just a bad thing. It's not something that is evil um, or the result of sin, but rather um, it is something that we were created to do. It's a creation principle. Turn over then to Genesis chapter 3. And so we, we say that, that work is not the result of the fall or the curse, but sweat is, toil is, the hardship in work is a result of the fall. And so in Genesis 3, we have Eve taking of the fruit of the tree that she was not supposed to take of, but she did. And so God had commanded her not to do it, and so there was a punishment. There was something that came as a result of it, and Adam took it too. And then 
we have uh, God looking for Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, and they had hid themselves um, because of their sin, because of the fall. Um, and then we have God's instructions to the serpent, to Adam, to Eve. And here in verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And so, this, this feels a little harsh, but yet, Adam sinned. There was a fall. There was something that happened here. He went away from what God had told him to do. And so there was a punishment as a result of it. And so sin and the curse made work difficult. Um, in verse 17 there, it um, says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow. Or I think the NIV says, in painful toil. Thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. And so there was thorns and thistles and there was going to be sweat because of the curse. It wasn't that work was created then, but rather the, the difficulty, the toil, and the, um, and, and the sweat came as a result of that. Sin caused death, and sin caused hardship. And so we see that work is a creation principle or a creation mandate. Secondly, then, we see that work without God is meaningless. Work without God is meaningless. And I just turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Um, as we think about work. Now, Ecclesiastes was likely written by King Solomon, who was a very wealthy man. And he had everything at his fingertips, at least later in his life. Very wealthy. And he did a lot of building. He did a lot of moving things around. He built the temple. He built a house. He built houses for his wives. And he did, he, he, he was, um, a, I guess you could call him a fairly good construction manager or a contractor um, in, in the things that he built. But Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and some of his reflections of life. I'm going to pick up in, in verse 4 here. I made me great works. I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pool of, pools of water, to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of, of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gather me also silver and gold and, and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I gather me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. In verse 11, Then I looked on the works, on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, 
All was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Now you think about all the stuff he moved around. All the stuff that he built. All the stuff that he tried to do. There was a lot of work involved. And there was a lot of things that he invested here. And at the end of the day, he looked at it. And he said, it's all empty. You know why it was empty? It was because he was doing it for himself. It was meaningless without God. Um, he goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And let me tell you, if, if you are working and it is just for yourself, it's going to be empty. Because when we separate the, the idea of work from what we were created to do, the purpose of work, it becomes empty, it's unfulfilling, and all we're doing is moving stuff around and it doesn't mean anything. That is emptiness. And it's, it's, it's empty in and of itself if that's all we're doing. It's just working for ourselves to build our own empire, to build our own resume, to do our own thing. Um, Solomon ended Ecclesiastes like this in chapter 12, verse 13. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so Ecclesiastes Work without God is meaningless. I know some people don't like the book of Ecclesiastes. I kind of do. It's, it's, um, it's kind of pessimistic in some ways, but there's, there's a reality of life here. And I like his conclusion here. You know, we can do all this work, but if we do it without the fear of God, it is empty. There's nothing in it. And so fear God and, and work to please him. And that's my third point here. Work to please God. So first, first of all was work as a creation principle. Number two was work without God is meaningless. And number three, work to please God. And going back to Colossians chapter three, um, the passage that we read earlier, and looking especially at the instruction that was given to servants. So Colossians chapter three, verse 22 and this, there's a similar passage in Ephesians chapter 6 as well, uh, verses 5 to 9, but I think we'll, we'll stick to this passage here. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, in, in working to please God. Verse 22, servants. Now, just remember, when Paul was writing this to the church at Colossae, um, there was likely servants and slaves in the church, um, along with Probably masters, as we see in, in the beginning of chapter 4. Uh, he also gave some instructions to masters. But he, he instructs them, servants. He didn't say, get away from your masters. He didn't say, try to get away and do your own thing. No, he says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And so, work to please God and not just your master. Um, it's not just, just trying to, um, to, to work as men pleasers and, and, and so that the boss is happy, but we are working um, for God, to please God. And so who are you working for when you get up and you go to work tomorrow or on Tuesday whenever you return to work? Are you working just for your boss or are you working for God um, in, in your work? 
Who are you working for? Or maybe you're working for your own self-fulfillment and, and to determine a sense of self-worth. Um, don't, don't do that. But work to please God. Eye service is just working when the boss is watching. And I, I don't know if you've ever been on a project or maybe, maybe this happens at church work projects especially. Um, you know, we say, ah, we got we to gotta get to work because the boss is here. You know, um, hopefully that doesn't happen on your job. Usually when comments like that are made, there's the, the people that make comments like that are usually the slackers among us. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I said it myself. I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, let's not have that attitude um, when we go to work because we're working for God. Um, in, in my line of work, I get into some big chain uh, retail places at times. And I, I think it's interesting how uh, some stores function um, just kind of the way they are until they hear that management is coming around. Somebody from the corporate office is coming. And then all of a sudden, they got to work, work, work to try to get things cleaned up so that they're ready for the, the, the bosses to come in. That's, that's eye service when we're just working to please the boss. Work to please God. According to some surveys, people waste 20% of their time at work. 20%. That's, that's a lot. That's uh, one out of every five hours. So if you have a 10-hour day, that's two, two hours a day. And so let's not work just to please the boss, but work to please God. Singleness of heart here. Um, Verse 22, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart um, is the idea of consistency, um, not the highs and lows of, oh, today I got to work to please the boss, and then the next day, well, the boss isn't around, so I can do what I want. But no, it's not, it's not that high and low, but it's, it's a, a, a consistency, a sincerity that comes um, from that. Also, we see in, in verse, um, well, verse 23, and whatsoever you do, it's similar to verse 17, whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Um, do it with energy as to the Lord and not unto men. Verse 24, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. God is the one who will ultimately reward you for your work. Now, I know we go to work, sometimes we go to work for the paycheck. We, we go to work for the reward, um, for the financial reward. That, that's okay. We need to make a living for our families. But I think it's also important for us to, think of, to, to keep this in mind, that ultimately God is the one who's going to reward us for our work. And so what, what implications does that have in how we think about work? Does that make our work sacred? Um, should we be careful with the types of work we're doing? Um, should it affect the quality of our work? When we think about God as our master, God as a rewarder of our work. I think it's, I think it's important for us to think about it. And maybe, maybe we should develop a theology of work and, and how, we, how we think about that. Our focus should not be on who works the hardest or has the most money or has the best benefits package. Rather, it is to serve God through our work. It's to serve God through our work because he is our master, ultimately. He is the one that is going to 
be rewarding us. However, this also means that if our work is keeping us from God, if our work is keeping us from God, then we have lost the focus on who it is that we are serving in our work. And so if, if our work is so big in our lives that we don't have time to commit to God, then we've lost the purpose of our work. And our work has become our God. Or maybe our own self-fulfillment has become our God. And so we need, I, I find for myself, I need to be careful with that. Um, that I don't lose the focus in who I am serving in my work. And how I, and how I work. Satan likes to take what God meant for good and twist it. He does it in all aspects of life. Um, whether you're talking about marriage or, um, well, we could go down a whole list. But he does it in this thing of, of work as well. Um, I, I believe that God meant it for good. But Satan likes to take it and twist it. Too little work is laziness. If I work only for my own greed or for my own gain, it's, it's greed. If I work too much, it's weariness. And, and so Satan takes this thing of work, this thing of, of glorifying God through the things that we move around, and he twists it for his own good or to try to destroy the good that God created. And so number four is work can destroy. Work can destroy. So we had work as a creation principle. Work without God is meaningless. Um, work to please God and then work can destroy. And so what, what happens when we work too much? When we try to please our master, our, our earthly master, too much. And I think, I think one of the things that can happen, well, there's the thing of burnout and overload, but, but also in verse 17 of, of Colossians 3, it says, and, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And when we work too much, we lose sight of the giving of thanks. And we lose perspective on why we're doing um, what we're doing. So we lose sight of the giving of thanks. Mrs. Charles M. Kalman said this, and she was, she was a missionary, a, a writer, wrote a number of books, but she said it like this. Many are slowly succumbing to the strain of life because they have forgotten how to rest. Rest is not a sedative for the sick, but a tonic for the strong. It saves us from becoming slaves, even of good works. All right, it saves us from becoming the slaves, even of good works. Um, because sometimes we can feel like what we're doing is good. All right, and maybe it's church work, maybe it's maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we're really blessing people, but if we're not careful, um, we can become a slave, even to that where we become so much of a doer, we forget how to be with God and have that relationship with God. There was a, a man, um, a, famous, a famous Scottish pastor, uh, back in the 1800s by the name, by the name of uh, Robert Murray McChaney. And he was one of the most powerful ministers uh, to stand in the pulpits of Edinburgh and Dundee. He graduated, if I understand correctly, from the Edinburgh University at the age of 14, in the year 1827. He didn't always work for God, but when he became a Christian, he did work, and he worked hard. 
By the age of 23, he was leading a congregation of over 1,000 people. And from what I understand, he basically worked himself to death. He was determined to make good use of every opportunity he had for God. And, and he did well at, at, what, he, at, at what he was doing. He, he put himself into it. Um, but he became sick and eventually died at the age of 29. He was a young man. This is what this quote has been attributed to him. He said, The Lord gave me a horse to ride and a message to deliver. Alas, I have killed the horse and cannot deliver the message. And so it seems like he recognized. He said, The Lord gave me a horse to ride and a message to deliver. Alas, I have killed the horse and cannot deliver the message. He recognized that his own body was breaking down. And he couldn't deliver the message anymore that God had put on his heart. And so let's be careful. Because work can destroy. I'd like to turn to 1 Kings yet and... Maybe people in Southern Virginia don't struggle with this thing of too much work anymore. I know those of us in Connecticut, um, we struggle with it at times. And I've had to wrestle with it, wrestle through it in my own life. First Kings chapter 19. This is a story of Elijah. Now, Elijah was a mighty man of God. He was a great prophet. At least, when I think of great prophets, he would fit into that category. But Elijah was not without, its, without his struggles. He worked hard. Um, he had some pretty intense pressure um, in, in his life. 1 Kings 18, we don't have time to go into the whole story um, and everything that transpired, but I'm just going to mention a couple things here to jog your memory. Elijah... Um, had appeared to King Ahab. King Ahab was a wicked king. Um, he had led the people in Baal worship. He had married Jezebel, and they were worshiping other gods. And so Elijah had come to him and said, you know what, until um, I say there's not going to be more rain on the earth uh, uh, because of uh, the things that, that were happening. And so there was drought for, what was it, three years. And then eventually Elijah came and... Um, he, he told Ahab, look, bring the prophets of Baal. Let's go to Mount Sinai. We're going to see who the true God really is. And they come up to Mount Sinai, the, uh, the prophets of Baal. They, they build their altar, and they cry out to Baal, say, um, you know, asking Baal to, to hear them, um, to, uh, to send the fire on the altar. And we know that didn't happen. And then Elijah built his altar, and he poured all kinds of water over it, and made sure that, that, um, you know, that there was no fire in it. He tried to prove that to him. And then he prays, and God sends a fire. Immediately, before the prayer was over. It was a big victory. I mean, this was, this was a three-year process building up to this, and maybe, maybe even longer. Um, but... After that, Elijah killed the prophets of Baal, and um, they went back to the city. There was rain, finally, after all this time. 
And then we pick up in 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Why didn't, he, why didn't she just kill him right there? Why, why did she send a message and say, well, in 24 hours I'm going to kill you? Anyway, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And so we see him running after this great victory. He saw that God had worked um, a, a mighty miracle uh, among the, the people of Israel, and there was rain and, and prophecy had come true. Now in verse 4, but, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And I, I call this an Elijah moment. You know, sometimes in our own lives, when we're, when we're dealing with work, and, and the, the pressures of work are heavy on our shoulders and on our minds. And we're like, we can't do this. There's so much that needs to be done. There are so many needs among us. There are so many uh, people that we could be serving, people that we could be ministering to. And we just can't do it. And then we see, we see how Elijah here, he said, it is enough. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. He came to the point in his work where he would rather die then continue with his work and continue um, in, in his ministry. And, and when, when, we, when we find ourselves thinking like this, we're in a dangerous place um, because we have lost the purpose of our work and what our work is really for. And so when we come to a place like this where I have had enough, I would rather die than, going on, than go on facing this day in and day out. We know it's time to rest and to refocus you know, Elijah was, changing, was expecting a change in the people's allegiance. And when that didn't happen, he crashed. Um, he, he, he internalized the response of the people, and, and his self-image was being destroyed. Um, and, and his work um, was, in his mind, was being destroyed. He had the mindset that he was the only one left. It all depended on him. And we don't, I don't think we'll take the time here to read this whole passage. But in verse 10, and he said... I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And so it's a very, very fatalistic mindset, really. It's all depending on me. It's all, you know, it comes down to me. It, that wasn't true. There was more people that hadn't bowed to Baal. Um, but that, that was the thought process. And so how did God handle Elijah's burnout? In verses 5 to 8, um, And as he lay, or as Elijah lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him, and he said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And so what, what did God do? He allowed Elijah to sleep. He sent food. He took care of his basic needs and he allowed him some, some solitary time, some rest time, and ultimately a meeting with God. 
And, you know, sometimes in our work, when things get out of perspective, when work seems to start to destroy us, that's the very thing we need. Just get some rest, get some sleep. Are you eating well? Because sometimes when we get busy, the McDonald's drive through is too easy. And we just simply cut corners in some of those things. Are you taking care of yourself? And so God cares. I, I, I believe God cares about your work and how work, the, the effect that work is having in your life. I have a quote here, and I, I don't have the, the source for it. Um, it's an unknown um, quoter, I guess he would say. Stress does not have to lead to burnout if one is aware and takes steps to set sensible boundaries. And that's, that's hard to do. Um, but don't let it destroy you. For Elijah, verses 15 through 18, we see God giving instructions to Elijah, very specific instructions, things he was supposed to do. He had some unfinished business to take care of. And then God did take him home. It's, it's interesting to me how it seems like it was a fairly short time after this experience that God sent a chariot and took Elijah home. I don't know, I don't know how old Elijah was at this point. Um, but God did care for him in the midst of his stress, the midst of his burnout, and things that he was facing. So what will you do with your work this week, this year? Are you going to glorify God through your work? Or is it going to be toil? Is it going to be hardship for you to get up and go to work? Do you think there's going to be work in heaven? Or are we all going to sit around on fluffy, fluffy clouds and play harps and things like that? I don't know. Uh, you, can, you can think about that. Um, Revelation 21, 24 through 27 would, would seem to indicate that there's diversity in different nations. Now, if we're all just sitting around, how is there going to be diversity? Maybe the cultural creativity is implied, but it seems like there's something to it. And so God is a creator, and I find it hard that we're going to worship for all eternity without working or creating. I don't know. I, I, I can't necessarily point at chapter and verse and say, yeah, you're going to have to work even after you die because we think about rest. But I challenge you, if you think about work and you take out all the pain, the toil, the sorrow, the sin, the, the greed, you take all that stuff out of it and work actually isn't that bad. It can glorify God. It can bring glory and honor to Him. And so... Let's not get discouraged. Let's not get so um, full of ourselves, full of our own work. Let's not just be a doer, but take time to be with God. Um, invest that time with Him. And as we do that, I think we will, we will be energized. We will be filled with, um, with desire to create and to glorify God through our work. Again, in closing here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. 
And whatsoever ye do, whatever you move around, whatever, whatever your calling is, whatever work you do, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let's glorify God through our work and the stuff that we move around. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. And then after the prayer, Josh, I'll turn it back to you. Father, as we, as we come to you at the close of, of this, um, this time together, Father, thank you for the way that you have created us. Thank you for making us in your image with the ability to work and to do things. Um, Father, thank you for that blessing. And Father, I pray that as we, as we return to work, as we um, go about our daily business, Father, help us not to lose our purpose, um, the pers- purpose of, of glorifying you um, through our work. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. Pray that you would be honored and glorified through the work of our hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.